Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. I wanted to say one more thing on the announcements. The stories and songs thing next week, we're, we're super excited about it. Your kids, if you have children, are, are back there practicing motions as we speak. Because I don't know how you do a Christmas thing and don't have little kids come up and do hand motions. So if any of you grownups want to get in on that, just if you just want to head on back to the library. Uh, also, you'll have to change a few diapers, but other than that, you can like, uh, you can just learn the motions. Um, but if you've ever been to a Lessons in Carol service, we're kind of doing our take on the Lessons in Carols, and it will be shorter and louder. Uh, so, and then we'll do like, I don't know, cookies and punch and stuff like that afterwards. So we're excited. Uh, we hope that you will come. Um, and also, I'm excited because next week marks the beginning of Advent which is my favorite season in general, but particularly my favorite season here. Uh, So for four Sundays and then for Christmas Eve, uh, we will just like journey through the story of Jesus's birth together. And I don't know, I feel like it's magic. It's so fun. All, all, everybody comes back to church for four weeks. It's really, really, really exciting. And so um, I'm ready. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So uh, I can't wait to start that next week with you guys. But we're going to spend one more week uh, in a series we've called Garden City, uh, looking back at the creation story in Genesis. And we've really, over the last few weeks, um, been taking a specific focus looking at the garden. And that is talking about what it means to be a human. Um, and, and so today, part of that discovery of what it means to be a person, what it means to be a human, um, will, be, will mean that we need to spend a week talking about uh, our relationships uh, because it is a key part of being a human. Um, and it is not lost on me that we will be talking about relationships just a few days before uh, many of you will be sitting around a table in what might feel like a petri dish of relational discovery. I don't know what your Thanksgiving is like, but um, I think that's what we'll be doing. Um, I uh, love my family, my, my small family and my large family, uh, but the older and more introverted I get, uh, the more overwhelming rooms like packed with family members becomes. Um, and so I, I think I just heard someone say amen silently, but I heard it and I agreed. Um, but uh, I can't remember if this was last year or I do this frequently, but I had this moment. Uh, my mom hosts everybody at her house. She's wonderful and gracious and, and we all go over there and it's wonderful until I reach that moment where I'm like, get me out of here. And at that moment, I go to her office and hide. I'm giving away all of my secrets. Um, I go to her office and I hide and I take deep breaths, but mostly I just scroll on my phone. <laughs> you, don't judge me. Like you do the same thing. You go to the bathroom, but really you just sit in there and you scroll on your phone so you don't have to interact with your family. Um, and so I, um, I'm, doing, I'm doing that. I'm sitting in her office uh, scrolling on my phone and then I hear the worst noise you can hear in a moment like that, which is the door opening. And you're like, oh no. And so I did what any holy person would do and I pretended to be praying. <laughs> look up and I'm eye to eye with my dad who's doing the same thing. It was a 
secret. I just look up and I'm like, oh, okay, you can, you can come in too. Like, we'll pray together and play Candy Crush. Um, <laughs> so uh, I get some beef sometime here uh, when I talk about when I claim to be more introverted than extroverted. Um, but the truth is this, I, I love people, I truly do, um, but my refilling and my refueling uh, pretty much exclusively comes alone. And that's really sort of the dynamic that I want to talk about this morning as we talk about relationships, the dynamic of connection and then um, the opposite of connection, of individual time or uh, alone time. Uh, we're going to go back to Genesis 2. We went to Genesis 3 last week, but we're going to go back to Genesis 2 for a little while. Um, and here we've been, uh, uh, we have God and he's addressing relationships very, very early in the creation story. So from the beginning, relationships were an essential part of what it means to be a human. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what the garden teaches us about work, uh, which I loved and I think we'll revisit again next year because I'm, I'm not sure we, we got all the way there. But, um, but we stole Tim Keller's definition for work, if you remember, and he says this. He says that work uh, for humans is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world and people thrive and flourish. Tim Keller defines work as taking the raw materials of the earth and rearranging them in a way that makes the world flourish and other people flourish. And I would love to take that definition and kind of put it in this category this week for uh, relationships. Um, the human work of relating, I think, in some ways is very similar to the work that we do with our hands. That a, a lot of God's original plan for relationships um, were, were included uh, doing this thing, the work of relating. It includes um, rearranging the raw materials uh, within us in order to help us flourish and help the world flourish. Uh, there's a part of relating that is pure intimacy and enjoyment. And I would argue that a lot of God's original plan for relationships were those two things, intimacy and enjoyment. It's why when the first woman gets created, Adam like breaks into song, you know, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Uh, but there's also a piece of relationships that um, after the curse that we talked about last week that now requires work. Uh, none of us have any relationships in our lives that don't require work in order for them to flourish or for us to flourish. And so I think part of our relational work looks like rearranging the raw materials of ourselves and of our lives in a way that leads to thriving and flourishing within us and around us relationally. So to me, that means in order to relate well to other people, I need two things. I need to know my own raw materials, know myself, know what I've got, and then two, I need to have imagination for how I could rearrange those things in a way that leads to my personal flourishing and the flourishing of the people I'm in relationship with. And when you look at it that way, you see why we all need to go to therapy. Uh, Relating, it feels like really big work. And I don't want to lie, it is very big work. But to me, it feels like important work if we're going to follow the way of Jesus. Uh, it's work that Jesus did, and it's work that Jesus blessed. Uh, his life models for us what it means to be human. We uh, said uh, our, in our last sermon series called Dust, when we talked about Jesus, we said Jesus is like God, and Jesus is also like us. And I believe that he taught that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, bears on every single facet of what it means to be human, including the ways uh, that not just that we relate to God, but the ways that we relate to each other. 
The way of Jesus, it, it invades our whole lives. It has something to say about all of us. So uh, going back to Genesis 2, the, the creation story tells us that we were made in God's image. And therefore, we were made to be an intimate community, intimate relationship with other people. Uh, and this isn't exclusively marriage or having children. That's part of it. Um, but you do not have to be married or have children to have intimate relationships in your life. And as a side note, um, I think that one of the great disservices that the church has done uh, in the world is not teaching enough about intimate community beyond just marriage or beyond just uh, having kids. Our relationships, they're one of the ways that the kingdom of God and the goodness and the rule and reign of God is multiplied into the world. Us as people uh, delighting in others, honoring others, this is part of God's plan to put everything back together to renew the whole world. Uh, intimacy and connection, they are very human things, and I would argue that they are very holy things. Uh, in Genesis 2, God says that it's not good for Adam to live his whole life alone. And so the first thing he does, if you caught it, is he creates animals from the ground, but, and no offense to your dog, because your dog is great. Your dog is better than everyone else's dog, just like you think it is. Um, and especially if you're putting it in a sweater at this time of year, it is very cute. And put that thing on Instagram for me personally. Um, uh, no offense to your dog, but the, but the animals did not complete, like, they did not complete the picture of relational fullness um, for Adam. And so God creates a woman out of him, another human out of his body making human intimacy and relationship and connection literally part of what it means to be human. And with the creation of Eve comes relating. It comes companionship, community, connection. And while connection is absolutely part of, of being human, um, it's not the whole picture of relating. Because now that a connection exists between two human peoples, people, so does the pain and the confusion that happens when it goes away for long periods of time or short periods of time. Since the very beginning, the flip side of intimacy and connection has always been uh, individuation and, and, and loneliness. Uh, to quote Seth Bouchel, who's been writing most of mine and Chad's sermons lately, uh, he says, loneliness and intimacy are fundamentally dependent on one another. We don't really have one without the other. We don't value connection without experiencing loneliness. And we don't experience loneliness without knowing how it feels to connect with someone. And so really I want to spend most of our time this morning uh, talking about the second piece of that. Uh, talking about loneliness because I think there's so much that we learn about relating to other people uh, by loneliness. So welcome to church. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's talk about how you're lonely. Right? <laughs> Uh, but I would argue that if we want to look at the raw materials within us in order to rearrange them in a way that's better for us and better uh, for others, then we have to look at what loneliness can teach us. Uh, while Genesis 2 tells us that God did not find it good for Adam to be alone as a fullness of the expression of what it means uh, to be human, the reality is that the creation of Eve uh, the, and the creation of intimate connection also meant that part of what it means to be human uh, is that now there are spaces and times when we know in a deeper way how it feels to be disconnected, how it feels to be individualized, how it feels to be alone. And while that's not meant to be the whole of our design or, or our experience, it is part of it. 
It is part of the experience of being human. And if I'm very honest with you, it's a part of the experience that I have been trying to avoid my entire life. But it's unavoidable. Uh, I have this roller coaster I get on when I feel lonely. You may have one too. It may not look like mine, but I I bet you have one. Um, When I feel lonely, I do three things. Uh, The first thing I do is I blame the people around me. Uh, The next thing I do is I fill my schedule as tight and as thick as I possibly can fill it. And then the third thing I do when those don't work and they don't is I numb myself in any way I possibly can so I don't feel it. On my roller coaster, I am so fast to blame uh, others. I am so fast to blame my friends. Like, I'm lonely because my friends are really, really busy, and it is their fault that I'm lonely. And then I immediately want to fill their already busy schedules with more of me. You're welcome. Um, So that I can numb my lonely with their laughter. It is my favorite numbing mechanism, the laughter of my friends to numb what's lonely in me. I blame my family. I blame my family for being busy or distracted. And so um, the way that I engage them is I pick fights with them. Or I create these family things that everyone has to attend and I call it optional. Um, I bl- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> From the one who has no option to attend. <laughs> I, blame, I blame the church for not having enough programs, which is low-hanging fruit at this church because we have, like, no programs. <laughs> But then I commit instantly. I'm not going to miss anything that the church does. Um, And then if I can't fill my schedule, which is my first line of defense, then I fill my ears or I fill my mind with podcasts or or TV or reading like an unhealthy number of very dumb books, not smart books. You can read a lot of those, the dumb ones. That's what I choose, the no-brainers, as Emily Hitch calls them. Um, I feel lonely, and I just jump on a roller coaster in hopes uh, that someone else will fix this thing. that I'm feeling that I don't want to feel. Because again, if I'm very honest, what I really want, I want to not feel lonely, but I want someone else to do the work to get me back to connection. That's what I really want. Uh, I want uh, Daniel to know, like innately know what I want and need and feel and fear without me having to say it. Like a magic trick. I am a fun person to be married to because you just get to guess all the time. I want my friends to build regular time into their schedules and and I want for their kids to never get sick or their work to never get hard so they never have to cancel on me. And I want the church to provide me with a small group of people that agree with me politically, socially, and spiritually at every level so that we can just really get in deep. These are the things that I want and I don't think it's too much to ask that everyone fix what is lonely and what is broken in me. This may not be your roller coaster, but my hunch is you have one. You have one that you jump on. The introverts are like, no, 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 no roller coaster. I love this. (laughs) But I would argue that though you may be slower to feel lonely, you still feel it. We all have a level of loneliness that we're uncomfortable with. It's part of what it means to be a human. We all have a level of loneliness that we see as something to get rid of, as something bad, something to fix, something to get out of, something to end but Jesus has been messing with my life on this, like absolutely wrecking me on this because Jesus, he seems to be alone a lot. Like if you read through the gospels, Jesus, he, he gets alone a lot. And the moments aren't always pretty. Like sometimes I've heard it taught, it's like Jesus, he went away and he prayed and it was this beautiful thing. They're not always pretty. One time he gets alone and the devil comes to hang out with him. I don't know what your loneliness looks like, but eek. Another time he's literally sweating blood. 
Like these aren't always pretty, lonely times. Jesus, he goes alone a lot and he does it on purpose and he seems to do work there. And I think that there's something to learn there because Jesus is like God, but Jesus is also like us. And so I think if there's something in the lonely for Jesus, I think there's probably something in the lonely for us too. So maybe what I want to do today is just like redeem the work on loneliness. Uh, I read an article recently by a guy named Ronald Rollheiser, who is a Catholic priest and a thinker. He was martyred in, I think, Guatemala in the 80s. He has this really cool story. But um, in this article, and I think it's interesting, as a, as a single man, a Catholic priest who has chosen a, a, a life of, of, of intentional aloneness, um, he says that he calls loneliness a privileged medium by which we are able to enter our own hearts. And that has been rattling me. I want to redeem loneliness because I want to learn how to see it that way. As a, as a privilege, as a, as a place for curiosity, as a place for, a, a more, for me to become a more full person, a more gracious person. Because the roller coaster that I get on is exhausting to me and it's unfair and exhausting to the people around me. The roller coaster I jump on when I get lonely treats people uh, not as people, but instead as something that I can use to create worthiness in me or fullness in me or belonging in me. And that is terrible because that is not a fair expectation to have for anyone. And because people and churches and communities and friends, they are pretty awful and inconsistent filler-uppers, right? My fam- I think my family is the best in the world, and I think my friends are the best in the world. I think this community is the best church I've ever been part of. But you guys and we are all unreliable and inconsistent filler-uppers. But I think in the name of redeeming uh, loneliness, when we uh, get curious about it, it has this ability to introduce us to an appreciation and a connection to others that isn't about using them, but is about delighting in them, helping them, partnering with them, true intimacy. But it's scary. Because for many of us, lonely is scary because uh, the individuation, the differentiation that comes when we get curious about our loneliness, it feels dangerous. Because when we listen to our lonely, it has this ability to like subvert our egos in a way that unravels us. Because getting curious about uh, uh, being lonely means getting introduced to our true selves in the quiet our insecure selves, our neurotic selves, our afraid selves, our living in our head a lot selves. And that feels dangerous. And so in our minds, we have equated lonely with dangerous. But I think Jesus saw it differently. I think that Jesus saw loneliness as as a place to open us up in a deep and profound way to who we are and to the world of God within us. Because when our ego, our false self, when it's unsettled, it exposes what's below it. And what the Genesis story tells us is that what rests right below our ego, what rests right below our false self, is the image and the likeness of God in us. And when I think of it that way, I think that the gift of loneliness is to discover what lies below our distractions and our numbing and even our relationships. It's to discover what uh, Ronald Rollheiser in this article called our most noble and divine desires. 
Because the image of God within us produces in us our true purpose, our true identity, our most true desires. Uh, I want to quote Henry Nouwen on this because he says it better than I could. Um, I think, Dave, I think we've got the quote on the screen. He says this, to live a spiritual life, we must first find the courage to enter into the desert of our loneliness and to change it by gentle and persistent efforts into a garden of solitude. This requires not only courage, but also a strong faith. As hard as it is to believe that the dry and desolate desert can yield endless varieties of flowers, it is equally hard to imagine that our our loneliness is hiding an unknown beauty. I guess that's kind of been my experience lately. I've been trying to become present to my own loneliness, to work, um, to find what's hiding underneath it, and to find the unknown beauty of it. And to be honest, this is not the kind of work I like doing. I like fast work, I like loud work, and I like work that people can see and clap for me for. That's why I do this. I'm just kidding. Well, maybe not. (laughs) But this work... I think it might be the kind of work that sets me free, and I think it might be the kind of work that sets you free and sends you back into connection with others so that maybe you could also set them free. Because I, I want to show up in my life as a differentiated person, a differentiated friend and pastor and parent and partner. Like I do not want the story of my kids' lives to be that I lived my life through them. I don't want the story of my family members to be that they constantly had to fix something lonely in me. I don't want the story, I want the story of my friends to be delight, not codependency. And so I want to explore inside me the most true versions of myself, the me made in the image of God, the me that's loved and accepted by that same God and then sent out into the world uh, to join him in delight and to join him as he puts things back together. Uh, There's a Persian poet named Hafiz who wrote this poem. I just want to read you a a quick little piece of it. He says, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Loneliness, it can be our enemy. It can be the thing we work hardest to avoid or our teacher the thing that exposes us in a way that might be painful but might also be painful in a good way, like when a seed's underground and then it bursts open. Uh, A few years ago, uh, I had a really terrible fall, not not fall off the stage, uh, autumn. And, um, And I started doing yoga in my friend Mary Grace's dining room, which I think probably also needs a little more explanation. She is a yoga teacher, and then she, like, taught classes in her dining room. Um, and, and it was about this time of year when I started taking classes. And, um, and our class started at 7 o'clock. So at 7 o'clock, you know, it's, like, pitch black outside, and it's freezing cold outside. And it was the loneliest season of my life that I can remember. Uh, and, and the cold, I remember getting out of my car, and it was so cold, and it was so dark, and that just felt like it sort of confirmed what I was feeling inside. Some of you are like, yes, I'm feeling it right now. Um, And I would go to this class, and honestly, I just pretty much hated it um, because I was bad at it. I was really bad at yoga, and I hate being bad at things. Um, And then yoga is also long and slow and boring if you've ever done it and you have ADD. Um, But also, I hated it because it was quiet. It was so quiet. And in the quiet, there was nothing to distract me from how lonely I was. 
And, and I remember laying on the mat one day thinking, I wish I would have picked Netflix or wine. Like that would have been so much better than just being quiet on this mat. Uh, and she would start every class with this um, invitation. She would invite us to set an attention for our practice. And I think they were supposed to be something like really deep and something really meaningful. Um, but my first one was to have arms like Michelle Obama, um, which I find to be deep and meaningful. Um, but over time, uh, I started to see that the intention, um, I, I started to see it like there's a story in Mark chapter 10 when a blind man comes to Jesus and uh, Jesus sees him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And it's like the most obvious question in the world because he's blind. You know, he's like, uh, see. Um, but I started to see the intention this way because uh, Jesus knows what the guy needs, but he asks him anyway. And, and so I started seeing this invitation to set an intention as Jesus asking me, in the next hour, on this mat, what do you want me to do for you? And to be honest, my answer was still Michelle Obama arms. But I also uh, started to, to become aware of some other things that I wanted. Like, I wanted peace in this really awful relational thing that I was in at that moment. And, and I wanted to be braver in a season where I was feeling insecure like I have never felt insecure in my life. And I wanted hope because I had given up so much of mine. And very slowly, very slowly, Jesus met me on that mat in my loneliness. And he exposed in me the most true and noble desires and longings uh, in my heart. And as they were exposed, he did the work in me that they required. And very gently and very slowly, he started to knit me back together in places that had been long devastated in me. And now when I look back on that season of life, it is still without a doubt the loneliest I have ever been. But it is also, again, without a doubt, the most beautiful. It was the place where uh, to, to steal from now and flowers started to come through the cracks of the desert in my soul. It was the place where I could find what was hiding beneath uh, my loneliness, beneath that ego, that false self, the place that I'm always trying to get back to. And the scariest part of all of it is on that mat, I had to be Lindsay loved by God. And I am terrified of that person because I usually am Lindsay, who I don't love that much. But I had to show up as Lindsay loved by God and start from there.